Global Service Radio. It's Melissa, and you are tuning in to the Edible Activist Podcast. This show highlights black and brown edible activists in the food and farming space. And no, not that kind of edible you're probably thinking about. We're talking about food activism, people, and stories that are bringing us back to the land. As the creator of Food Talks DC, I travel the DC area and beyond to document personal food journeys and perspectives from everyday people on topics related to health, culture, environment, food justice, and so much more. Every week, I will, be, I will bring in a special guest to hear their personal food journey firsthand. We don't promote people, we tell stories and empower communities. So today on the show, I have a very special guest. Hey girl. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Maisha Taylor, DC native, farmer, Morgan State alum. I had to throw that in there because okay. you rep Morgan so hard. Morgan Bears for life. Um, she she pots herself as a Be More Club enthusiast, y'all. <laughs> and a go-go enthusiast. I love it. Indeed. Um, she is also known as your produce pusher on social media. I love that. I love that so much. Um, and welcome to the show, Maisha. I'm so happy to have you. Thanks. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I know this is like, I've been listening to the show. Yes, you have. Came out to the last, well, not the last one, but the one you had with uh, Rabia from Ruby Scoops. And the- That was a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago. I can't keep up with time. But yeah, she, and I also have to add, like, she's like really She's a big cheerleader, big cheerleader of mine of, of the platform, and has been a very huge supporter of um, Food Talks DC, the Edible Activist movement and campaign since day one. And um, I wish I could just replicate ten of you. So I wish I could replicate those shirts in different <laughs> colors. I would have had it on today, but I was like, you know what? I'm shocked that you don't that you you're not wearing it because you always every time I always get these alerts on Instagram and she's rocking her <laughs> shirt everywhere, and okay. I absolutely love I it. I have one, Melissa. That's okay. I'm gonna hook you up. I'm okay. gonna hook you up. So I met Maisha over a year ago and this is when I was doing a rooftop series at Uptop Acres and I remember having a conversation with Maisha and she learned about my event through another homegirl of ours in the food space shout out to Jennifer Um, but we also we tried to connect a couple years ago through our homeboy Xavier I love making these connections y'all because it's like all these awesome black and brown folks in the food Mm -hmm. space making these connections and so Last year, we connected, and ever since then, like, I feel like we've been best of buds, like, for real. And you have been doing some really awesome work, and I definitely want the audience to learn about who Maisha is, um, what your work is as a farmer, um, and what this work means to you in this space. Um, You're also your project manager. You are a food systems thinker. You're all those great things. But um, you, this DC is your home. DC is your home. And I also had an opportunity to um, connect with Maisha early in the year, who shared a very compelling story with me um, in regards to her food journey, which I thought was pretty amazing. And I definitely want to touch on that. But 
share with the audience your roots and you know what 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 DC means to you and um, who you are. Who the hell is Maisha? Who is Maisha? the produce pusher? Right. Yeah. So I'm from DC, um, Northwest. I like to say uh, DC. DC made me be more raised me. I spent a lot of my adulthood in Baltimore. Um, but uh, and my dad's side, so my mom's side's from DC, my father's side's from North Carolina. So just growing up my whole life, like farming was always in the background. Like my ancestors were like sharecroppers. My father too has told me stories about like picking um, cucumbers with my grandfather or like, you know, working out on the farm. But um, I kind of stumbled into this work randomly. But when I think about the journey, right, like I always tell people I started and I was in like the third grade. I was in garden club and (laughs) I was in garden club. And and the the reason to join garden club was not because I was really interested in learning how to garden, but because I wanted to get out of school early. So the school (laughs) (laughs) at least you've been honest. Look, the school bus, you know, school would get out at three fifteen, but the school bus would maybe pick us up at like two o'clock to get, you know, so that we can get in the garden and get home before it was dark. But um, I was uh, gardening at twin. uh, I think it's like Twin Oaks or Twin something Gardens, right off of Columbia Road. And uh, learn how to grow around like, the corner from here, somewhere. Yeah, it's literally yeah. down the street. Oh, okay. It's still there too. Um, but like learning how to grow collard greens, like I was growing collard greens, onions, and diff- just different things. I don't remember everything because we didn't have smartphones. So I don't have any pictures. That's okay. Um, At that point, you were savoring the moment, weren't worrying about taking exactly. Photos of every I was getting out thing. of school early. Yeah. No. Um, so I would, I would get the produce, um, and I'd take it home and I remember my mother teaching me how to like clean green. So we sitting at, at the, um, at the sink in the kitchen and she's like soaking them. This is what you got to do. We peeling the stems off and cooking. And that was really fun. And then I didn't touch gardening for like, I didn't go back to it until like 2011, um, and I always tell this story so people know. So my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer, um, and they had, like, I was like, I, can, I need to find out what I can do so that she won't die. And at this time, I was in this RBG, red, black, and green, radical uh, space in my life. So I, I love like, it. I'm going to talk to a holistic <laughs> doctor, right? So I talked to a holistic doctor, and he's like, yeah, she need organic spinach and she need organic this and her iron this and all these different things. So I go to, it's a giant on, um, over there by Rhode Island Avenue. I go to the giant. I'm in college. I don't have no money. You know, my rent like for some, and I'm working on the weekends to pay my rent. But anyway, I couldn't afford the, I couldn't afford the produce at the grocery store. Wasn't nobody in my family buying organic produce. That wasn't, you know, a part of the culture that I was in. Right. I wasn't eating, like, perfect. You know what I mean? So I just kind of, like, got really inspired. I t- ended up taking, the like, an intro to nutrition class and really started learning about, like, how our bodies interact with, like, vitamins and supplements and what we need. Um, and then I was just, like, I, I just started gardening so my my one of my homegirls who is also in the food space named Nicola she has started a organic garden at our university and I like helped spearhead it and participated in meeting other people 
And then I just was like, you know, I think I want to take this a, a step further. One, because I, I couldn't harvest the food at the community garden and take it back home. Um, an opportunity came for me to work with youth in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, they was like, oh, we noticed that you have, you know, you have this experience working with community gardens. We have youth and, you know, we want to offer that type of uh, programming at our community center. So I, like, got hired through AmeriCorps um, and started a youth garden. And in that youth garden, you know, uh, taught youth. And as I was learning, because, again, it had been a while since I, like, have been farming. So teaching the youth how to garden, um, you know, teaching them about like business, because that was also something in my RBG moment. I was reading a lot of Marcus Garvey and learning about just, you know, economic empowerment and how he had black dolls and factories and ships. And I just was like amazed that like that had happened and then it wasn't happening. Right. So I was like trying to figure out how to merge, you know, that those two interests um well going back let me um step in really quickly so i I, did you see me like cheesing over here when you were talking about how you and your grandmother would sit next to each other and (laughs) i was like i just really i get really excited when i hear stories like that because part you know one of the reasons um one of the missions behind the this whole podcast and um in turn sharing our stories and sharing our narratives is that this all ties back to the land, you know? So sharing a bit of history, um, sitting there with your grandmother doing things that she did, you know, just reminding people like this wasn't just yesterday, you know, my grandmother was doing this and then the, the mom before her came, you know, before her did that and the matriarch, like this is just part of who we are in our history. So, um, Thank you for sharing that. Again, I just get so giddy when I hear stories like that. Um, but so, Moving fast forward, you fast forward to Baltimore and going to school and starting the youth guarding and stuff like that. What, you know, you're in this radical moment um, where you're just like, after this, I want to change the world. Um, how, how else did the space around you evolve? You know, especially from, I feel like this is all spiritual work too. I say that all the time. Yeah. Like, you know, just, <laughs> I, I feel like a broken record. Like it's spiritual work, but how did this all evolve for you spiritually too? Man. Um, the, the, the farm is a re- is a real healing field. You know, I, I'm kind of, I'm trying to think of like a story or something. Um, that that can speak to it. I guess one of the things, right, is like meeting other people in the space. Absolutely. Who also are on the battlefield because of some of the same um, challenges or like having, you know, experiences in their families or losing people to, you know, diet-related illnesses, you know. um, Well, your grandmother, let's go back, Your, your grandmother passed away. Um, I don't know if it was, it was due, I know she had cancer, Yeah. but was it, was it due to malnutrition? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. And that was, that was pretty traumatic. I mean, that was that. one of the 12 things on her, Wow. on that, that, whatever that forum's called when people pass away. Wow. It was like epidemia, high blood pressure, a lot of things. I think she had like triple bypass surgery once. So, yes, I mean, okay, so back to the question about, Mm -hmm. like, spirituality. It was really a place for me to, like, heal, like, trauma and grief. Like, a lot of 
of my family members, like we cry and things of that sort. But at least the ways in which I deal with anger or like those pent up emotions, I need to be doing things, whether I'm on, you know, at the gym on a treadmill, playing basketball. And in the garden, you have the ability, you know, you're using tools. So you're taking that aggression Pulling out. up weeds. Yeah. You know, catching the fresh air, you know, the sun, being able to eat as I go. Um, and then things just come to you while you're out in the field, like ideas or memories. And it just, that's kind of what um, inspired me to stay in it mm-hmm. um, for as long as I Absolutely. Have. For those who are just tuning in, this is Melissa here with the Edible Activist Podcast, broadcasting live um, here at the Line Hotel on Full Service Radio. I am chatting with farmer Maisha Taylor, a.k.a. your produce pusher. <laughs> <laughs> and she just shared a little bit of her upbringing and what food looked like for her and just some of the um, um, traumatization she experienced with her family and her grandmother in particular, um, watching her um, get ill and um, just due to a lot of like diet related um, illnesses. So um what I want also wanted to ask you is, I mean, you you stated like you were a huge food advocate you know, in the family. I know once you learned of, um, saw your grandmother going through all this and um, getting the organic food and, you know, growing the food. What, how did your family members respond to you? Because I know you were still in this radical movie, like, y'all gonna eat this. Look, I, I, was, I, was, I was laying on too many things. I was like, I ain't doing Christmas. I ain't doing Thanksgiving. I ain't doing none of these holidays and I ain't eating none of this non-organic food, right? No, but um, <laughs> I would say, so the first year we, like, I brought, uh, like, some type of pumpkin dip to Thanksgiving. <laughs> a pumpkin dip? What I, the hell? I brought, like, a pumpkin Parmesan dip to Black Thanksgiving. Black people eat pumpkin? I know that sounds so cool. like I didn't little... eat pumpkin back in the day. I still don't eat it now. So. They only eat pumpkin pie. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so look, right? Because when I when I got into it, I'm like, I right, farm the table. So I, I brought pumpkin dip and 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 cinnamon roasted pumpkin seeds. <laughs> I'm in stitches. So of course, everybody was looking like giving you the side eye as I would have as well. <laughs> but they tried it, you know. That's one thing I I really appreciate about my family mm-hmm. on their journey that they journey with me. They tried it, so I did the pumpkin dip didn't work. So then the next couple of Thanksgiving, I would just bring the fruit salad okay. or the salad, you know. Um, and it took a while, you know what I mean. Like I would come home and like you know redo my mother's uh, seasoning pantry for. Or, you know, she was also on a journey to bettering her health. So recording her in the kitchen, making her smoothies or cooking, you know, cooking cabbage in a more healthier way. Um, And now the conversations like we had my cousin graduated a couple of years ago and the day of his graduation, like we had like a three hour conversation about uh, where milk come from, sugar just like health family members all after my grandmother passed away everybody found a pocket of health to like I love it to deal with so like my sister she's more into like skincare products and like aromatherapy my aunt she's into like black seed oil and supplements and okra juice and okra okra juice okra okra tea 
actually okay. okra tea, and it was actually good. And I love okra. And, and Lita knows I diabetes. love me some okra. okra. Okra tea is good for diabetes. How do you make okra tea? I don't know. And that's the, that's the tea? So you boil it and you take the, the juice off of it and you drink it. That, that like, um, you sit there. I love okra. I love okra too, but okra tea. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just yeah. I had to so, just drift off for a moment. You know, then my mother, her thing is like smoothies, and now she she likes you know do her cabbage differently. People start taking meat out. Like everybody changed a bit of their yeah. of their behaviors um, after my grandmother like, passed away. And I I think that's amazing. And it's it's almost also kind of bittersweet because at the same time, you know. You're losing someone, but you're also gaining something in the process. And, you know, you never want to. And it, it just that such is life. That just happens. Like something traumatic may happen and then it forces you to change your ways, change mm-hmm. your habits, you know. Um, and it's unfortunate that you lost your grandmother. I'm so blessed to have both of my grandmothers in my life. And so I, I can only imagine. But, um, you know, just. But I think it's awesome that, like you said, each person found a pocket, they found a lane and some in some capacity in mm-hmm. some respect. And I also think it's a way to um, honor your grandmother and honor those who came before us, you know, because, again, you know, everything that we do through the okra tea and the black seed and the, the food and health and the beauty, coconut oil, coconut oil, oil. like where <laughs> does that stuff come from? The land, right? Yeah. So I I, th- I just think that's wonderful, and I just thank you for being the radical advocate to be like, we're not doing this, we're not doing that, and so because in oft- oftentimes, because um, I remember when my mother became vegan, and she did this during like Thanksgiving while we were in Mississippi. Okay. Wait. So your <laughs> mama made a vegan. Thanksgiving meal. No, no, no. She didn't make a vegan. Okay. Make, yeah, hell no. They would have never. Ooh, your family would have no. been tight. They didn't even know what the. No, <laughs> they didn't. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know what it was. So oftentimes, when you are introducing something new that people aren't familiar with, you don't know how it's going to be perceived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So that's why I asked the question: like, how did they receive your knowledge and your? advice i'm I'm gonna leave the radical part out because like my age is crazy but um but for good reason though so that's why i asked that question because food is very judgmental yeah and and i i think when the when the when i first started the journey i was kind of aggressive Mm -hmm. with it and then i just learned that like that's not how it's gonna work yeah you know what i mean so what ended up happening is when I would go visit my mother or visit a family member, I would offer to, like, cook a dish, mm-hmm. you know, and, like, show them ways of chopping or how to cook something that, you know, you still get the nutrients in it. You know what I mean? Um, so it, it, it requires some massaging, as most relationships Absolutely. or things do. Um, and now it's, a, it's, it's better. Like, people still call me, even though I'm not farming, like, full-time anymore, mm-hmm. Oh, what? Are, how do I store these mushrooms? Or how do I cook these greens? Or what's lemon pepper good for? You know, just yeah. different things. And yeah. I'm just like, y'all know y'all got Google, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, you just called me. 
ask me. You just the you produce can, pusher. How you can store your cabbage? Like Google don't got the answer. But but I appreciate like it keep me on my toes to to know that you know it's still people in the community who look to me exactly. as a Google. <laughs> you're doing because you're they're doing the work and you're you're the source. You're the plug. You're the you're the produce pusher and you're the plug. So how do I store my cabbage, Maisha? <laughs> I store my cabbage. I was joking. <laughs> I eat all my okay. cabbage. I don't need to store it. Oh, you eat it. all your cabbage? Yeah. I mean, what's the little that's... I don't... I'm not a big fan of the sidebar. I'm not a big fan of leftovers. I oh, like okay. to eat all my food. So I cook in small portions, but the cabbage is obviously big. So when I do have some cabbage leftover, I just put it in the refrigerator after it cools down. You do not put hot food in the refrigerator exactly. while it's hot. Let it cool all the way down. Anyway, guys, Melissa here um, with the Edible Activist Podcast, um, broadcasting live at the Line Hotel here on Full Service Radio, chatting with Maisha Taylor, um, your farmer and produce pusher. And we're actually going to learn, we're going to get into the crux of um, some of the farm. She's not, she doesn't farm full time anymore, but she is still a farmer. I feel like you never and let I'm go of those skills. And I'm still attached. I'm still working within a space that has a farm. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to get more into that after our break. And um, we'll see you soon. I do that to fly. I do that, that, that. I do that to fly. I do that, that, that. I do that to fly. Shit, shit, shit. I just don't know why. I said I do that, that, that. I said I do that, that, that. I said I do that, that, that. And you're listening to the Nag Champa Art Ensemble and Jenna Camille from a recording at Songbird in 2016. For more, visit soundcloud.com slash Nag Champa. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. This is Melissa Jones with the Edible Activist Podcast, broadcasting here at the Line Hotel DC on Full Service Radio. For those who are just tuning in, welcome. I've been here chatting with Maisha Taylor, DC native farmer, aka your produce pusher. 
I have to say that. Um, <laughs> we couldn't play that, but uh, I love it. Absolutely love it. So I have been sitting here chatting with my Isha, just learning a little bit more. I'm learning more about her, her upbringing, um, her roots in D.C. and growing up with her family and just learning um, about how she used to garden as uh, used to do gardening as a youth, like a little baby. I actually can't even picture that. That's so funny because I know my Isha guy. So that's why it's so much more funnier to me. But anyway, uh, Maisha is a, a dope farmer, a dope friend, a really great supporter. I met her last year, and I'm just so happy that we're in this space together. And she has a lot of knowledge. So I definitely want to get into the crux of, you know, her work as not only as a farmer, but just being in this food system space in general. She works for a local nonprofit here in D.C., and she actually spearheaded a pretty awesome food entrepreneurial um, program this year that I was happy to be a part of. Yay! Yay! Um, Oh, and the other thing is today is Maisha's birthday. If I could sing. (laughs) (laughs) Jack is awesome. It's my mama's birthday too. <laughs> I'm my It's her birthday for real? Yes, yeah, my mama's birthday. Are you serious? Yeah. Gosh. Yep, yep. No wonder you're hilarious. I don't know. She's something funny about that. I don't know. Um, so anyway, um, so yeah, Maisha, tell us a little bit. Like, let's get into this farming work. Let's let's talk more about I know you you went to Baltimore. You went to school in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Shout out Morgan State. And you did. You were out there for like 10 years. You just came back to the D.C. area. She I spent a, I spent a considerable amount of time in Baltimore um, doing the, 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 the community gardening, working at a, a, a local farm. Yeah. And then I was just like, it's so much more that I need to learn. And I ended up moving back home to D.C. for like six months. And I was like a school garden coordinator at Anacostia High School. I worked at a couple other uh, high schools in the area and then like maintained different community gardens in D.C. And kind of got into the entrepreneurship side of not farming, but just in the food system space of like developing added value products using farm produce, um, working with youth. And then... I was just so, like... So, wait, let me pause real quick. So, was it when you were in Baltimore, that's when you really jumped into farming? I know you started off doing some... You had a little bit of a green thumb growing up here in D.C., but when you came to... When you were in Baltimore, is that when the farming... The hardcore farming started? Yeah, it was like... It was not... I wasn't like a farmer okay. farmer. In my first stint in Baltimore, okay. I was an educator. So, okay. I was a I was a youth educator. I was working with high school youth teaching them about farming and again still learning Mm -hmm. as well as working with elementary school youth um so like doing field trips cooking demos things of that sort and then from that experience i learned i was like actually i don't want to teach youth because youth don't really have the agency or the advocacy to purchase produce Mm. so i was like i want to go bigger and that's when i I moved back to D.C. because I didn't have a job. And I was like, I need to go home. Moved back to D.C. And then from D.C., I learned about an opportunity in North Carolina. So I spent almost a year in North Carolina working on a 33-acre certified organic farm. How do you know that? Where in North Carolina? In Goldsboro. Oh, okay. Yeah. So down in Goldsboro, I was doing research projects on, like, strawberries, growing conventional versus organic strawberries, high tunnel research trellising produce learning how to drive tractors working with pigs cattle goats bees just 
I was immersed in all farming in in North Carolina. <laughs> I want to drive a tractor. <laughs> no, no, I almost. <laughs> They had Again, to take the track away I know from me. Maisha personally. It's just hilarious <laughs> to me. So crazy. Oh. <laughs> what work did you do with pigs? <laughs> Girl, I was cleaning up shit <laughs> in pig pens. And I was scared. Yo, pigs are big. Yes, they are huge. I did not know they were big. What do you mean you didn't know? too. No, my favorite part about North Carolina, I used to work in the... Um, the dairy unit and the pasture <laughs> unit, right? And the dairy unit, I was milking cows. So I need photos. I, I need receipts. They say I need receipts. You didn't know that? I, no. Yeah. I need receipts. Let me text Jennifer. The, I didn't know this. <laughs> the pet in the pasture with the in the pasture farming, I they like so when cows they don't you make the milk? no. I didn't get the milk, but it. <laughs> And the, with the pasture farms, when they're breeding them, they don't allow them to have sex. Okay. So, like, they'll bring the bull around the female cows or okay. whatever. And then whenever two female, once another female cow mounts another female cow, they, like, mark, um, mark her back. Or the, actually, they're not called cows. They're called, like, heifers or something like that. Okay. Okay. But anyway, one time I went to the pasture unit, and I got to put the... I think it's called an IUD. I got to put the, the uh, sperm in the female cow and give the cow a shot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was kind of scared. <laughs> and, like, we learned about, like, cow behavior, so how to, like, make a cow move different ways okay. and stuff like that. It was, it was, it was wild. I need receipts. I got to see this. I believe you. It's just hilarious as I didn't know that. Oh my gosh. That is all. So you were down there for almost a year. I was down there for a year. Okay. And then I moved back. And then where I was farming at in Baltimore was like, hey, we got this site and we're looking for a farm manager. So they, you know, put the offer out. And then I moved back to Baltimore and I started that two acre urban farm where we grew figs. Blackberries, raspberries, um, a lot of storage crops because the farm was on a, it used to be a residential community where they knocked um, down a lot of the houses. So I, I, I spent at least the first two years just remediating the soil um, oh, and then wow. working with community. So community, the, the, the other farm that um, my job had was kind of in a, like a private park. You couldn't see it, but where I was, it was directly in the community down the street from like a, like a methadone clinic, like liquor stores, like everything. They was knocking down houses pretty much like every month or so while what part I was of Baltimore is this? Northeast Baltimore. Northeast, okay. Yeah. So there that's where I really was able to uh apply what I learned in North Carolina. You know, I didn't want to get on a tractor because when I was in North Carolina I was scared to drive the tractor, but it was a part of the training that I had to go through. Um, but I did like using the Grillo and the uh, Rototiller. That was always fun to walk behind <laughs> all day or the uh, the U-Bar. I really like the U-Bar. So I was fit. You know what I mean? I had the guns out, you know. Okay, so for our next farm trip, I'm bringing Maisha with us, okay? You're going you're gonna to travel with us. So did you ever stop? And thinking even now, do you ever, did you, especially while you were in North Carolina, did you ever stop and ask yourself, like, what does this all mean to me? 
you know, I know we touched a little bit on the mm-hmm. spirituality part, but still, I think what with whatever anyone's respective career, whatever their passion is, like, did you ever stop and just say, okay, what, what does this mean to me? Like, why, not why am I doing this in a bad sense, but like, is there something much deeper mm-hmm. than just this? Yeah, I mean, I know one of the reasons why I do it, you know, we look just in the culture of a lot of communities with black and brown people and like health is a challenge, you know, accessibility, being able to afford it, being able to create jobs. Um, The biggest thing for me is like agency and self-sustenance. Like I always, you know, in conversations with people who are like, I don't really care about that whatever i'm like so what you gonna do if united states like we ain't taking no more international stuff yo nationally we not taking nothing from texas we ain't taking nothing from dc like if all you had was the food that's in your immediate surroundings how you gonna survive we just had this conversation with dom and i just was like i ain't putting my i'm not putting my life and my health solely in the hands of a grocery store or a corner store or you know a restaurant whatever absolutely so it just was like you know i'm gonna find my community or we gonna find each other and whether i know a chicken farmer like i i know people who do different things so if you know if it get real what I told Dom the same damn thing. I said, listen, I got Look, friends, okay? If <laughs> they know how real. to build shit. They know how to grow shit. They know how to do every damn thing, okay? Preserve shit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so Absolutely. that's what it's like. And and I'm okay with being that person in my family and in my community that, like, we going to make it work. That's right? If y'all going to learn how to grow something or y'all going to do some other skills and let me do this thing. So it's mainly like really, and it, I mean it shouldn't be, but it's a, it's really about survival. Like it is. it's expensive, yeah, to buy organic. And I right, let's talk about what happened recently with the like E. coli breakout oh in the gosh, lettuce, right? Yeah. I was like, well, I bet you I can go down the street to the urban garden or the urban farm, and I don't got to deal with no E. coli. Exactly, you know, like that we're not. It's not a lot of regulation, or the regulations aren't really being. Well, monitored. The U.S. doesn't give a damn about its people anyway. <laughs> Let's be clear. I have friends who have gone to Europe because they take better care of their people when it comes to health, when it comes health wise than here. <laughs> I, I just heard that uh, Sweden and Denmark, they have like free college or something. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I might be going over there, huh? I can get them four years, find a little farm or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, but that's real talk. That's real yeah. talk. So I definitely want you to touch on, you work for a local nonprofit here in D.C. And as I mentioned before, you spearheaded um, an amazing food entrepreneur program um, this past summer, spring, summer. And I thought it was pretty dynamic. And the thing that I really love about your work is that you are really about the food production aspect of what you do. Because, yes, we have a lot of farmers and they do awesome work and we have these farmers markets. But um, we're also entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And some of the times, I'm not going to say a lot of the times, but we definitely have some folks in this area who are doing it. And I always use Xavier as a prime example of the mm-hmm. work that he's doing with his pepper jelly sauce and so all the good. other things. It's so good. But taking it to the next level from the farm, you know, to 
having a business, you know, and expanding maybe, and maybe it's not actually the actual business, but some people are growing specialty crops, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's the one thing that I really like about your work because, you know, we, I've said this before, we're afraid to make money and I want to let the world know it's okay to make money. We can make money. Like there's no problem doing that. Like we, we need to make money. So it's, it's, it is about the sustainability when it comes to how we grow our food, but it's also Mm -hmm. about the sustainability within ourselves and sustaining our families, Mm -hmm. you know? So I definitely want you to touch on just a little bit of the food program, um, the food entrepreneur program that you spearheaded this, this past summer, this past year. I don't even remember what the hell season it was, (laughs) Um, but it was dynamic. And I'm so glad that I was able to have a, you know, to be able to participate in it. Um, yeah, and thank you. And, you know, you definitely was there from inception. I'm like, I was. I just got this thing. This is what I'm thinking. So, yeah, this year um, worked with 10 D.C. residents um, who have food businesses, um, created or developed a curriculum that's specific to food, um, the food industry. So folks went through 15 um, – 15 weeks of classes, all equaling up to about 370 hours of instruction. Uh, got folks men, uh, mentors. Um, so in my uh, in developing the program, I was like doing a lot of background research. I'm real investigative. I'm I'm sure you, you know. Are. I'm really curious. You are. So I'm just like, what do black and brown entrepreneurs need to succeed? And they were like, they need mentors. They need this. So I I just kind of took like information from different things that I've read. Um, with the help of my team and put the program together um, and, and throughout the program, right? So folks came in six months, the program six months, um, collectively generated $14,000 in revenue, um, was able to create uh, opportunities and pipelines for them to cater or get, you know, contracts for sales. And I, I mean, it, it's just leveraging the resources um and creating the space for brown and black communities there the work is being done in dc but it's not very it hasn't in my opinion Mm -hmm. it hasn't been really inclusive of brown and black people we have our we have our we have different challenges so creating that space for them to feel nurtured to you know develop that confidence as entrepreneurs and get whatever technical assistance that they need so you know hired you as one of the (laughs) the coaches you know helping them on you know branding and event planning um coach uh hired a coach two coaches who were chefs and who had brick and mortars to help them figure out those pieces and recipe costs and all those Mm -hmm. little things that you people don't think about when they start businesses they're like i'm gonna sell ten dollar plates and people selling ten dollar plates for years not knowing that what they, you know, they could be selling $15 plates or whatever else, you know, goes that they have. $50 plates. $50 plates. Good food, local food. Come on now. <laughs> so, yeah, we, and so in this role, are really trying to encourage people to even, so my job is connecting them to the farms. Like, okay, you're, you're an entrepreneur from D.C., now let's connect you with a local farm. So you sourcing locally. So really, how do we close the loop and keep that dollar in our community? 
Um, That's what's up. But you were also making making the connections amongst um, each of the entrepreneurs, yeah. you know, so that they can collaborate mm-hmm. and say, hey, you know, I got this tea, I got this sauce, you know, maybe we can put together some packages or mm-hmm. you can use my product. Um, what was like some of the biggest challenges? And because this was an inaugural, like this was this is the very first one. Right. I think some of the challenges were just that like, Every business had its unique challenge Mm -hmm. and figuring out how to support them um, the best way that I could in the amount of time, you know, like the program started this year. These people I just met don't really know their story. So it was a lot like being like a counselor or a therapist, um, but still able to move through the goals that we set for them in the beginning of the program, which was a a, a nice victory. Once the program ended and we did their exit interview and we looked over the the goals that we set, most people hit their targets. And that felt good to know that, like, I helped create a team of coaches and instructors and the cohort themselves to support each other in their business goals. You did a really great job. Thank you. You did a really great job. And um, Maisha is all, she's like the project manager of all project managers. And she definitely does her due diligence and her research. And I watched her firsthand do all of that. So congratulations to you. Um, I know it's no easy task pulling people together, coordinating schedules. And food is hard, man. Just in general, the hospitality industry is a beast, you know? So like you said, you had to learn each individual, learn what their issues were. And it's not an easy thing, but I think that's such a dope program. And I look forward to seeing it expand and hopefully it can help other entrepreneurs um, in the space too, because we got to make, we, we got to build sustainable businesses. And, I, and we're builders by nature. Yeah. We know how to build. We do. That's not the problem. We can build. We've been building for years. But we have to learn how to build strategically. And, ding, ding, and in the ding, way ding, that's ding. aligned with our spirits. Yes. You that are is so very important. So we are going to have another cohort next year. I'm in the process of fine-tuning it. Anybody's interested in like learning more about the work, just visit dreamingoutloud.org. Dreamingoutloud.org. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Just doing some phenomenal things with farming, um, local food sourcing, and uh, food entrepreneurship development. Awesome. I can't wait. So we're going to wrap up here in a few minutes. But um, I wanted to ask you before we close out, what narratives are you looking to change in this community? Whether it be like your circle of friends, Mm -hmm. within your family, D.C., like what what narrative or just personally for you. And the other thing that I have to point out, like Maisha is this fly ass person. okay, (laughs) with a green thumb. You don't have to walk into the place with freaking overalls and, you know, what it's just that. And that's the thing that I like about these shows. You know, like we are everyday ordinary people Mm -hmm. doing this work. I got a damn dress. I'm not a farmer, though. <laughs> but I'm out but in the field. Do, I'm doing yeah. the work, you know. And so um, that's what I like about the guests here. Y'all so fly. I used to say I'm trying to beat Jay-Z of, of the <laughs> agriculture game. I, I'm, and I'm here to support. I'm here to so support. No. Um, I, I would say the narrative, one that I operate from is inclusiveness. You know, and my journey is like, People saying like, oh, they, I can't, 
you you farming you black like i didn't know like you can you can do agriculture or food re- uh, system work whether you're black and brown you gay you mm-hmm. you know you handicap you a returning citizen like there is an entry for everybody yes you know you just have to choose what you want to learn or what you want to do even if you say you know three months i want to do this you know maybe you want to try this diet for three months maybe you want to source locally for x amount of time mm-hmm. set small goals yes um and that that that's just kind of the narrative that i want people to to realize you can volunteer at a farm you could go to a farmer's market mm-hmm. you know they can create their own narrative exactly create own your own narrative yep. um because i entered this space and it wasn't a lot of I thought it wasn't a lot of people in my in the space. Mm-hmm. And then as years went by, like I'm like, there's black farmers everywhere. Yep. Doing this work. You and know, I love it. I love it so much. Cause y'all are awesome. So where can we find you on social media? You can find <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at your produce pusher at your produce pusher or uh spelled correctly, um with underscore at the end. Yay! Just on Instagram, or you on Facebook or Twitter? Or I'm on Instagram. Oh. I ain't telling y'all my Twitter. That's my okay. That's my uh, my dark life. We'll we'll Over leave there. ratchet. We'll leave ratchet alone. <laughs> I'm not judging. I'm not judging at all. Uh, well, thank you so much. I enjoyed chatting with you thank on you. the show officially. I and know. happy birthday to thank you. you. Thank you. And I'm so glad that like you decided to you know close out. Your inaugural year yes. with me. For those um, who don't know, this is the finale of the season. And Melly Mel is taking a three-week freaking break, okay? I will be back January 16th. It's been an awesome year. Thank you, everyone. I have some, like, guests in here with me, too, um, who I'll chat with once we're, once we're done. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy to have you. I was happy to have you on the show for this finale of the season. And um, I, this platform is nothing without voices like yours and everyone else's in the same space so thank you so much um but let's do a quick rapid fire okay you ready for me i'm ready all right let me see let me pull them let me pull them out the 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 hat um what is your favorite leafy green my favorite leafy green is cabbage okay yeah is that leafy i mean you fold true it's like thousands of leaves okay you're right (laughs) I like cabbage. Cabbage and cornbread or just cabbage by itself? I like, usually when I make my cabbage, I like uh, bell peppers mm. in it. Different uh, color bell peppers, onions. Garlic. Garlic. Yes. And I, I honestly, I like to keep it simple. Just salt and pepper, olive oil, pan fried. But I like cabbage because you could do it cold. You can do it hot. Yes. You can do it dehydrated. I eat cabbage raw. It's so good. Yeah, like a slaw. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. you can make wraps with it. You can it. pickle it. You can, and it lasts long. It does. You know. Okay, on from cabbage. Okay. <laughs> cabbage An edible activist you look up to. Edible activist I looked up to. My former business partner, Sasha Jones from Baltimore. Uh, shout out, S- Sasha Jones. We got yeah. the same last name. <laughs> like, this sister is hardworking. Like, even to this day, she has a full-time job where she's doing, you know, doing the work in the community. Then she's volunteering on the side. She's a farmer. Like, a lot of, like, 
my political education or understanding mm-hmm. about politics related to food has come from a lot of the conversations that we have until this day. She's just somebody that I could talk to about like the food system space and who gets it and who had, who has some of the same values as I um, when it comes to well, we gotta have Sasha on the show next yeah. time, 2019. Hear about what she got going on in Baltimore. Sweet, spicy, sour, or salty? I'm a sweet and spicy mix. Okay, yeah. everybody gives me these mixtures every time I ask them, and that's all. It's all good. Yeah, it's sweet all and good. sweet and spicy mix. Okay. <laughs> I really have a sugar addiction. Yeah. Everybody has a vice. <laughs> everybody has a vice. Okay. Favorite fruit? Kiwis. Cold kiwis, cold. I, I could do cold or hot. No, gold, uh, golden. Gold. Like, have oh. you had a golden kiwi? I haven't so had a good. golden kiwi, and I haven't had like a like a a kiwi in a tropical place. Okay, I'm looking, I haven't either. I'm looking forward to it, but I love kiwis. One, you can eat the skin on them. Yes, um, I haven't. They last pretty long. They They're do. They're green. They're pretty. They are beautiful, and they have more vitamin C than oranges. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk more about that. And they the have show. potassium. Like They got a lot of like nutrients in them. Okay. Dropping knowledge. One way someone can channel their inner edible activism. One way. Hmm. One way I would say you can channel it is, I'm going to go from where I kind of started, is starting to read the nutrition labels on your food. Facts. You know. And whether you investigate what it is, like, does it have That's red? That's a good one, Maisha. Red and blue dye. What's all of these OSEs? If it say it's sugar-free, but then you still see OSE on the back, it ain't really sugar-free. That's good. So just kind of thinking about that, looking at the sodium, the fat, you know. That's good. You got to start from somewhere. You got to start from somewhere. Education, man. All right. Well, again, guys, this is finale for the season. I'll be back January 16th because I'm taking a break. Three weeks. Much needed. But thank you to all of my listeners who have supported this show. Um, and I can't wait to come back in 2019 with, like, some freshness. Yeah. Are we going to have a season two launch party? Yeah, you're going to help me with it. All right. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We're here live on Full Service Radio every Wednesday at 11 a.m. And you can access each episode after it airs at fullserviceradio.org. Be sure to follow me at Food Talks DC on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Are you an edible activist? If so, please come join me on the show. I would love to feature you. Send me a DM on Instagram, or you can email me at melissa at goodsoilevents.com. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.